Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This is Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder? Welcome to Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder. I'm Molly Stillman, and this is a podcast where I get to sit down with a different guest each week and have raw, funny, often brutally honest conversations about the things that matter most, faith, business, life, and everything in between, where we each learn how to be good stewards of the things we've been entrusted with, even our stories, and how we can use those things to serve others and leave our families, our friendships, and our communities a little better than we found them. I want to create a space where people are unafraid to be themselves and unafraid to ask the questions the rest of us are thinking. My goal is to make you laugh, cry, and laugh till you cry. Oh, get ready. We got a good episode this week. My guest this week is my good friend, Shannon Laco. She is an author, podcast host, mother of three littles, and military wife whose most recent move was from Alaska to Florida. <laughs> Two completely different places. Her book, You're Completely Normal, debuted as an Amazon Top 50 hot new release in all of self-development back in 2020 and offered proof that she can write more than just Bachelor recaps, which were her claim to fame in the blogging world. She is a former Miss New York in the Miss America organization. She's a classically trained vocalist and previously worked as reality television development producer. She currently works on the social media team as a ghostwriter and content creator for a world-renowned psychologist and hosts her own podcast, Pairing Down, where she helps listeners declutter their homes as well as pare down their values and beliefs to encourage more intentional, less overwhelming lives. Oh man, Shannon and I had so much fun with this conversation. I have known Shannon for coming up on like 20 years, like 17, 18 years, something like that. And to have Shannon on the show was such a joy. I actually got to be on her podcast a couple of months ago. You should check out her podcast. We have such a fun time. So I'm not even going to waste any more time with this introduction because we're going to get right into it. Enjoy this conversation with my good friend, Shannon Laco. Here is how I know today is going to be a good episode. And that is because this morning, as Shannon and I have been working for nearly an hour to get to this moment, it just means that this conversation is going to be fantastic. Um, first of all, let me, welcome to the show, my dear friend, Shannon Lego. Hi! Hi, hi. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so glad we figured this out. <laughs> okay. So just we're, you know, because it's my show and this is what I do what I want. So I've been doing this for a minute. I've been doing right. podcasting for eight and a half or seven and a half years, almost eight years. And I have the same setup that I've used every time for a very long time for 300, 390 episodes. And I log in this morning to do my very first interview of the day. And it just decides I'm not going to work today. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> and then I spent an hour thinking I had it fixed. I had to reschedule one interview. And then I was like, Shannon's coming on. It's going to be great. And then Shannon comes on and we just spent the better part of 56 minutes figuring out what the heck was going on. I don't think we either one of us has a clear picture as to what happened. No. But it's, it, a, it's a true, it's the mystery of our time, honestly. We just, it just started working. It I just, was like, we did, we did lots of, we, you know, people that are the tech people are like, did you turn it off and turn it back? Yes, we did the whole turn it off, turn it back on, unplug, replug, change settings. Anyway, and then it just started working. So we are, we're, we're going with it. And, um, but I was saying to Shannon that I was like, I'm really glad that this is you and you have one, the time and two, the patience to troubleshoot this with me. But anyway, um, Shannon, welcome to the show. 
I am here. God is real. It's happening because that was a miracle. God is real. God is good. Um, oh, my goodness. Well, this. Um, so for the listeners, uh, Shannon and I go way back. Uh, we were in college together. Uh, we were in a sorority together. But I can't remember if I you were you a freshman or a sophomore when I was a senior. I was a sophomore, but I didn't join FIMU till my sophomore year. Okay. So you probably felt like I was a freshman because most of my classes were freshmen. Okay. Okay. So, uh, yeah. So you came in um, right as I was graduating, but uh, just, uh, you know, immediately just l- loved you. And um, and so obviously we've, you know, we've kept in touch over the years since then. And so, but it's just wild to think that, I mean, that was like 17, 18 years ago, something like that at this point. Right. Well, and it's so weird because like you said, you and I didn't really have a time to connect in college. So it doesn't really make sense that we stayed connected because yeah. we were never really connected. And I think it was at like Claire's wedding or one of our friends, something or yeah. other that it, there was a mutual like, I like you, you like me, and we have a lot in common yeah, moment. Friends. And ever since then, it's been like <laughs> yeah. social media, we are friends. It's, yeah, yeah. It was decided upon us that day. Pretty much, pretty much. And then also you were in, not only were we in a sorority together, but you were in the college acapella group that I was in originally. I only did it for two of my four years. So you, you came in after me, but we were both uh, Newport Pearls. Um, and so, yes, we, you know, love me some college acapella still do. <laughs> Listen, it's the real life pitch. Perfect. That movie did not exaggerate. That was actually what it was. Did you know that I just got back from a Pearls retreat? Um, Yes. And I love that your, your class of Pearls, like they still, you get together every year for what, 17 years. Yeah, 17 years. And, you know, most of us are like married with babies now. And we just go usually to like wineries or a beach house and just disappear for a weekend. It's I love it so, so fun. And my and coll- people are always like, my college boyfriend's ahead. younger sister was in your class. And so she's always like on that trip. Who? Anna or not Anna, Stephanie. <laughs> Oh, I forgot about that. I know. Oh my gosh, sorry. Whoa. Every, that's all, so crazy. Everyone listening to us is like, are y'all okay? <laughs> <laughs> no, you, we're giving you the tea, okay? The tea. This is a hot topic, the okay? Tea, the tea, yeah. The younger sister of my college boyfriend was in was in your class, which oh, I still love. I still love uh, his whole family. They were just all amazing. And uh, Yeah, I'm sorry I asked who. I mean, not that it really matters. This was a long time a ago. A long but... time ago. I'm married. We're like, I'm about to be married for 12 years. No, it's all good. Um, um, anyway, so I, I I wanted to just start the show off this way because I think it's just fun. And and I always tell people, too, I'm like, the whole goal of this show is I, f- I want you listening or watching on YouTube. I want you to feel like you're just hanging out with a couple people. So Shannon and I are just giving you the tea, the background <laughs> as to how we know each other. Um, but uh, there's obviously a reason other than the fact that I know you that you're coming on this show. So we're going to dive into all of that. Um, we're going to talk about your book. We're going to talk about your podcast and, uh, you know, military life and all the things that we have in common. Um, but in order to do that, I have to have you give me the Shannon 101. So Shannon, tell us who you are, what you do and how you got to where you are today. Okay. I will. I'm sure this is not an easy question for anyone. I also feel like, how do I sum this up? Because usually by the time you're 35 years old, like our lives have been all over the place, at least for me, which is why I wrote the book that I did about how there is a no linear path in life. So you will you'll see as I give you the one on one. But basically, I. after college, lived in New York City for a couple of years. I became Miss New York and the Miss America organization. After that, I lived. Yes, you did. (laughs) <laughs> okay. I'm um, still, it's still weird for me to talk about, but anyway, so, but then, um, moved to DC, worked in the federal sector. I was like, well, this is miserable. Cause I went from like the arts scene right. in New York to, you know, consulting for the government, which I is not a smooth <laughs> transition yeah, <laughs> at, at all. And so I was pretty miserable there. I like called my dad one weekend and I said, can I come home and chat with you in Virginia beach, which is where I'm from about move. I want to move to Nashville or San Diego. Like I've always loved moving. And so I come home that weekend. He basically trapped me as a good dad does, but he wanted me to move back near him. And so he hooked me up with this apartment basically that weekend. Uh, And I was like, I'm not going to sign a lease. I'm not moving back to Virginia Beach. And then I decided on a whim that I guess I would uh, because the apartment was really cute. And that night I texted some girlfriends. I was like, I guess I'm moving back here. Like, do you guys want to hang out tonight? Like, I'm going to be here in about a month, but I'm here for the weekend. Uh, And so 
one of them then brought their friend to meet me at that party. And three months after that, I was engaged to that guy from Virginia Beach. Um, (laughs) And uh, six months after that, we were married. And yeah, and then I fell into a job in unscripted reality television. And I was finding new talent for shows that would get pitched to like HGTV and Discovery and all of that had a baby, moved to Alaska because, which is like even cooler than Nashville or San Diego because I married a guy in the Coast Guard. So that's a piece of the story. Became a military wife. We moved to Alaska, which is where uh, my, my second child was then born. We then adopted our third child. He is Alaska native. And while I was there, so had two newborns while I was there. And wrote a book while we were there. So there was a lot going on a lot in Alaska. I was really thriving. Also making like bread from scratch. It was a really good time in life. I like it. Uh, And then a year and a half ago, we got stationed here in Florida. And so now I work as a ghostwriter for uh, on the social media team for a well, like a mental health expert in her field. And I also have a podcast about decluttering your home to make your life easier and simplified. So, I mean, when I say there's been no linear path for me, I mean, it's been a wild ride. Yes. A wild ride. Like, I feel like I just got whiplash, um, even though I knew that story. Um, (laughs) But I love hearing you uh, tell it so eloquently. And uh, I but I, I, I love all of it, especially the fact that you went from like Alaska to Florida, which is like two vastly different, not only like regular climates, but just general life climate. Like the people who live in Alaska by choice and the people who live in Alaska by or live in Florida by choice, just two demographics of people. Two very different demographics. Very I would different. Say. Like t- absolutely vastly different cultures. Yes. And also it was like a small town. So Ketchikan, Alaska is where we lived. And there's one road, like one main road. You get yeah. to one end of it. I think it's I think it's 18 miles at most long. And you get to one end and it has a sign that says the end. It doesn't say dead end. It says the end, which felt a little ominous to me at the time. But (laughs) (laughs) so you'd go there and then you go to the other side and it has another sign. And that's it on this island. And then it had little streets, of course, that you'd go up to into some neighborhoods or whatever. But there were... I think like 8,000 people year round. So you would go to the grocery store and you knew everyone you saw. Like literally I walked through with, I was pregnant with my daughter and had a toddler at the time, my son. And this lady was like, oh, you must be new. You're probably Coast Guard uh, because I've never seen you before and you have kids because everyone on the island with kids the same age knows each other. And so she invited me to a group, like a mom's group. And that's how I met people. And so it was this small town feel. You never had to change lanes. (laughs) Like there were not (laughs) options. You did not go out to eat because there were three restaurants at most. Um, And so then when we moved to Florida, not only did I not have this like beautiful mountain view with like orcas and humpback whales in the backyard? Know. Yeah, you, you would post like you had view of the water from your was it like your living room, and you would just yeah. you'd have like just orcas and humpback whales just casually it, in your backyard, so casually. And the cruise ships when it wasn't the pandemic coming by, which was really fun. And anyway, and so then you move to Florida, and it's like the rever- reverse culture shock was a lot for me. I like mm. all the traffic on the roads and the just feeling like nobody cared. It was the zero small town feel, you yeah. know, in the panhandle where we live. And so anyways, it was it was quite the transition, not to mention like the heat. Also, there's dinosaurs in Florida. I'm sorry. Give me a cuddly bear. I don't want an alligator in my backyard eating my children. <laughs> like I, this, it's outrageous. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, well, I love your approach to life and how you have taken your story that is not linear in any way, shape or form to where you are now, but how each experience you've had has led you to where you are now. And that is so much of my own story as well. And I think that's part of why I love you and and relate to you so much and why so many people do. And so to start off, I, I, you know, because I think it encompasses so much of what you said in in your introduction is your book, which came out in 2020, which is a great time for people to release books is during the pandemic. Um, And it's called You're Completely Normal, Trading Where You Think You Should Be for Where You Want to Go. I love the cover. I love this book so much. Um, I got it like this the day you announced it was coming out. I mean, I ordered it immediately. And it's such a fast read because of the way you write, you write the way you talk. And I'm curious, like, what was it about that time and that place that you were in 
living in Alaska with two young children. And I mean, it came out in 2020. Um, so you were writing it before the pandemic came out during the pandemic. Yeah. That's right. And so yeah, like, I started it. Yeah. Yeah. So when, like, why then? <laughs> like, where did you get the idea for the book at that time? Uh, so uh, I had kind of like you always known I wanted to write a book. I'd been blogging for years and writing was just what I loved. Like yeah. that was my skill set. Um, but I knew I didn't want to write on something that felt like I needed a more I guess, expert view. If it was going to be nonfiction, I knew it had to have a little bit of a memoir element, but I also didn't feel like I had an interesting enough life at that point to have a memoir yet. I don't know. I just, it was one of those things where for years I was trying to figure out like, what would I write a book about? And then I think it was probably right as we arrived in Alaska, I was feeling really down on myself. Like, why have I never had a normal career? Like, mm. I'm a smart, hardworking individual. Why have I never just, like, chosen a path, stuck to it, climbed the ladder, and had this, like, steady career? I always felt trapped when I had jobs. I always had jobs, but I always felt trapped. And then on top of that, like, I couldn't cook. I felt like a bad mom. I was like, I don't know how to make anything but mac and cheese. And I started thinking about my my love life. I mean, gosh, I, I cast a wide net before I met my husband, just always Same. feeling like I, <laughs> and I, you know, I had always done that math in my head. Like when I was 25, I was like, okay, if I met the love of my life tomorrow, yeah. then it, I we would want to date for like two years, which would mean that I'd be 20. Well, you know, before we get engaged, I'd be 27 when you get engaged and then you have to be engaged for a year. So be like 28 when we got married. But I want to be married to my husband for a couple of years before kids. So I wouldn't start having kids until I'm 30. And that's kind of getting a little bit older if I want to have more than one kid. Like, will I be an older mom, like 35 by my second kid? And this is if I meet the love of my life tomorrow. Right. And so I was like panicking in my early and mid 20s. And as I started kind of just like sitting on all of these different feelings I had about my life. I realized that like we cannot just believe that everyone's happier because their life looks more like how westernized culture tells us our life should look. Right. You go to college, you can figure it out for a couple of years when your career with your career by late 20s, you pick a, a pick a lane and you go find a husband, have the kids and you're happy living in a yeah. big old beautiful house. Like I just started realizing, wait, I'm in Alaska. I'm so happy. I've gotten to pursue so many cool things. I have so many cool stories. And I think I was at a time where I really was feeling good. And yeah. that's when I realized, okay, the linear thing is dumb yes. because I wouldn't be here if my life had looked normal. Correct. And so, and I put, well, normal in quotes, right? Because yeah. my book's called You're Completely Normal because everyone feels this way, but our lives rarely go on that track. Right. Um, yeah. And so that's why I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to write the book. And I was pregnant. I was like eight months pregnant when I started writing it. And then I had a newborn and kept writing through postpartum and published about a year after that. And so the book incorporates the nine areas of life that make us feel most behind. I have a background in psychology, which was helpful. So I could pull on different studies and statistics to prove uh, within the book to kind of supplement my anecdotes that there really is no such thing as a timeline in life. And then lots of like humor, as you know, and yeah. personal stories to that played out. Yeah. And I, uh, yeah, I think I mean, you're absolutely right. And, and being able to be in, uh, you know, a little bit later in life, I say a little bit later, you know, still, I still say even at 38 that I'm relatively young. Okay. Um, I realize I have a purse ibuprofen and a home ibuprofen, but I'm still <laughs> relatively young, but yes, the, the, the linear, um, thing that has been marketed to us as what your life is supposed to look like is a bunch of BS, to be honest. And, um, and, and I think that that is what I think gives you wisdom as you get older is all this just wide range of experiences. And, um, you know, I think about it a lot in parenting too, is, you know, I have these conversations with my kids, especially my daughter, you know, who is, she's 10, but she's like 10 going on 17. Like, it's just, she's in that peak tween age right now where, you know, quite a few of her friends are, you know, just a little bit older, you know, whether it's like 11, 12, 13. Um, and so she's 
kind of always in this, like she wants to be a little bit further along. The other thing too, that has been really interesting anecdote wise. And I realize it, I didn't even really think about the fact that I would talk about this, but, um, so my daughter's birthday is in August. And so when we were thinking about like, do we send her to kindergarten? Cause she was old enough to go to kindergarten at five, but she would have been, you know, like the youngest in the class, she would have like just turned five. And we knew that if we had sent her to kindergarten at five, like she would have been academically fine. But we just kept thinking, you know, we, you know, we'd kind of sought counsel from some people. And like, I went to kindergarten, my birthday's in August. I went to kindergarten right at five. And I was always kind of the youngest, the smallest, like I struggled a little bit socially and academically, whereas my husband's birthday is in September and he went to kindergarten and turned six. And so he was always the tallest, the fastest, the smartest, the strongest. Like he was always just kind of like ahead of everybody else. And I was always a little bit behind. And so we kind of, we, we ultimately decided to send our daughter to kindergarten at the age of six. But because of that, you know, she is the oldest in her class, but so many of her friends that she grew up with are a grade ahead of her. So she's like, she sees, you know, so many of her best friends are in fifth grade. She's in fourth grade, but she technically like could be in fifth grade about to go into middle school. And so she's always kind of in this like, but I want to be doing this and I want to be doing this. And like, why am I not here yet? Or why am I not having this yet? And I, and I have these conversations with her because I'm just like, I did the exact same thing when I was your age, did the exact same thing. And I did the exact same thing through high school and through college and after college. And, um, and so it, I think what's helpful is being able to be a parent. And I know that you do this with your kids as well, to be a parent who has those conversations with your kids on their level, but in a way that's like, here are some of the experiences I had where like, I screwed this up and here's how I messed this up. And like, hopefully you can learn from my mistakes so you don't have to repeat the same mistakes. I don't know. Have you found that to be true with you too, especially with parenting is being able to take that wisdom that you gained from all those years of the nonlinear path and being able to like put that into your parenting wisdom and and guidance? Yeah, absolutely. I think what you're speaking to is so true. There's a mindfulness there, a presence of being content where you are in life instead of thinking about what you wish was different or trying to do that next thing that feels like the thing you're supposed to be doing or your friends are doing or Um, You know, even yesterday, one of Anderson's friends got baptized at church and Anders wants to get baptized, you know, but I'm like, you want to get baptized because that's what you saw your buddy doing. Mm -hmm. You know, we got to really work through what matters here, you know, and that's it's just a natural inclination inclination. And um, and yeah, it's it's something that does come with age and wisdom is to be more mindful and present and grateful for where you are and to trust that it will all work together for your future in a way that you can't possibly imagine, right? Like if I had married the boyfriends that I thought I wanted to marry when I was in my earlier 20s, I wouldn't have married Aaron, who is the perfect match for me, (laughs) right? And as you go through life, you can look back and see all the things you were trying to strive for and trying to do next more quickly um, with more conformity to what's other people are doing around you. And we can look back and be like, thank God that didn't go the way right. I wanted it to. Right. Um, and when you don't have that perspective, that that hindsight in 2020, especially when you're younger, you just don't have enough life experience to recognize the beauty in mindfulness and waiting to see how it all turns out. That's just hard. And so, right. yeah, as a parent, I already have to do that because all, you know, Jojo, my daughter wants to be like the older girls. We have, you know, a six-year-old and an eight-year-old across the street. And that's fine. I think it's so cute that everyone wants to kind of start moving ahead. Um, but with parenting, even myself, I would say more so for myself as a parent, I have learned to implement this. Instead of my first kid with Anderson, you're so excited for them to start solid foods and you want them to walk and you want them to get potty trained really as early as they can. There's this kind of, uh, you're, you're just pushing forward, pushing forward. I can't wait for this next stage or I want this next stage to happen to validate myself, how I feel, mm. because somehow when we're first 
we always feel better, even though it could be something that's not a competition whatsoever. There's this sense of urgency would be the word. Um, And so now by my third child, I'm like, he was ready to potty train four months ago, but I just don't have it in me, (laughs) you know, but there's like the sense of calm. And I think that probably, and I don't mean to like jump off the book onto the podcast, but it all kind of goes together. I think a, that's why my podcast, which is about simplifying your life and decluttering your home to make room for what really matters. I think that that's why I landed on that topic is because there's a certain amount of being slow in life, um, present and mindful, not trying to buy the next cool thing, not trying to live in the bigger house, um, not trying to make all more money so you can do all the things, but being content with where you are is a huge piece of what I talk about. because decluttering means letting go of the things that you hold on to for a sense of maybe even the future, but also just a sense of, I don't know, like you're you're su- succeeding if you have these things, right? Yeah. And instead of just being really content and grateful for what you have. And then another piece of it, which is interesting, is like I... Okay, so as Miss New York, I made a whole bunch of connections, right? Like I know a lot of people who are doing very cool things in their life. And then um, working in unscripted television, my job was interviewing people and editing video to make these smaller reels, not like the ones on Instagram, but um, these reels that I would just pitch internally. And if our CEO and director of development liked them enough, then they would judge them up. And that's what would be pitched to in our New York office into like HGTV and wherever. And then writing my book in Alaska really honed my writing skills. I, you know, was so consistent with how I broke down my writing hours to get it done with two kids that like I got really good at writing consistently. So all of those things feel really random. But now I'm doing this podcast. And what am I doing? I'm interviewing people and editing. Mm -hmm. I am calling upon so many of the people in my network that most many that I met when I was Miss New York. I am writing and creating on social media a lot um, and doing little bits of writing every single day, whether it's for captions or for my job with the psychologist. And so everything I did didn't make sense. But right now I'm like, oh, man, this all makes so much sense. Yes. And that's something I'm so grateful for that. Hopefully I can use this example as my kids get older to show them like, It will all come together if you just continue to pursue the things that God calls you to, that bring you joy, um, and not always just move through with urgency. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And and it's so... Like I said, I, there's so much to your story that I just relate to is um, that ability to then take those skills that you know, God was cultivating in you all along. And at the time you're kind of like, why am I doing this? Or why am I in this spot? Or like, why am I miss New York? <laughs> you know what I mean, like, why am I in New York, you know, working on Broadway? Why did I go work in government sector for a while? Like that, it seems so disjointed, but then when you realize the skills that you were honing along the way, absolutely. And I think about the same thing for me too. Like, I mean, I wrote my first proposal for my book in the summer of 2017. And so by the time my book comes out, like in March, it will be, you know, what, like, I don't know, math is hard, like seven, eight years since I really started working on this book. But if I had done that very, like that very first book proposal was a very vastly different book than what this book is now. Um, You know, and even like, I had had dreams of when I wanted the book to come out. And if the book had come out when I wanted it to come out, like certain things wouldn't be in the book and certain things wouldn't have happened. And like, there's just all these different things, but it's, you know, and all along the way I was, you know, cultivating relationships through my podcast and, and all along the way I was honing my writing skills and honing my storytelling skills and all those kinds of things that then I got to put into use. And, um, it's so much better when, when at the time you get really disappointed and, and sometimes we can take no's or not right now's as as massive disappointment when it's actually just God saying, just wait, just patience, like patience, 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 patience. And, you know, I'm in the book of Genesis right now um, in my, my, you know, reading plan. And it's just amazing. Like, you know, a couple of days ago, we finished up the story of Abraham and Sarah and, you know, Sarah gets this promise from God and then she's just tired of waiting. And so what does she do? She takes matters into her, her own hands. She's like, God, you know, God's like, I promise that a son's going to come through you. And she's like, well, I'm in my nineties. And so this isn't ha- going to happen. And so I'm going to just take 
matters into my own hands. And so what does she do? She has her maidservant, Hagar, sleep with her husband. And God's like, this isn't what you were supposed to do. You know what I mean? And then, you know, but then, of course, you know, eventually Isaac comes and and yay, the, the promise. But then what happens with his own kids? You have Rachel and you have Leah and you have Jacob's story and you just have all these people, you know, uh, who who can't get pregnant. And even though they have a promise. And so what do they do? They try to take things into their own hands. And it's like they didn't even learn the, from the mistakes of their parents. But all along, God is just like, wait, not yet. Wait, not yet. And I realize that's kind of maybe a random example of how to, but it's, we see it. This has been happening for thousands and thousands of years is we just try to take things into our own hands. And we, instead of, uh, you know, just taking the next step the next right step of faith, the next right, doing the next right thing in faith. Like when we try to take things into our own hands, we just end up, you know. (laughs) Well, that's where so much sin (laughs) comes from, honestly, is this, the urgency that we feel to succeed Mm -hmm. and to do the next thing. What does that breed? It breeds pride because we're trying to do it all of ourselves a lack of trust in God's will. We want our will over his. Um, And then there comes into the competition. So relationally, things get tense because we're we're either feeling envious or competitive and then gossiping and slander. Like all of a lot of these things, they stem from this desire to make our life turn out how we think it should turn out, should turn out and to get there faster. Uh, And so whenever I meet someone who is really, Uh, You can just tell that they're mature in the faith. There's such a a groundedness to them, right? Like they are very, that doesn't mean they don't work hard or they don't have goals, but there's a comfort when you're around them because you can tell they're not on the hamster wheel Mm -hmm. uh, because their faith in God is so strong. Like they are listening to the Holy Spirit to help them make their next move, even if it feels difficult. And then from there, they trust in God's will and they move forward through God's will rather than their own. And so that brings them a sense of peace that, as the Bible says, transcends understanding. Um, And I think that's a really, really huge piece that if we think of on a high level, okay, if I remove this urgency from my life, this idea of where I want to go, what success means to me, uh, my attachment, let's say, to my kids, my children's success, remove all of that and just put on God lenses and say, I trust in his will and let me sit back and listen to what he wants from me. Uh, that, I mean, gosh, it just makes our lives so much better. And then sin does not have as much entangling, uh, like it can't entangle us the way that it can when we are just so worked up about what's going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going to take a quick break from our chat with Shannon to remind you that my book, If I Don't Laugh, I'll Cry, How Death, Debt, and Comedy Led to a Life of Faith, Farming, and Forgetting What I Came Into This Room For is now available for pre-order. You can pre-order it wherever you get your books and you can head to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, Walmart, and you can click that pre-order button. And what it does is one, it is a huge, huge help to authors anytime you pre-order a book, but two, it also helps to know you know how many to put in print and you also it benefits you in that the book will be on your doorstep on release day and you will be charged when it ships and it will be the lowest price that the book has been on sale so all good things all good things so i would just be so grateful if you would head on over to your favorite book shop And would you pre-order that book? You can also call your local bookstores and request that they carry it. That is a huge help as well. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited. I cannot wait. We are nearly two months away from this book being in your hands. But without further ado, let's get back to my conversation with my good friend, Shannon Lego. Well, I think that that makes a good for a good segue and you'd kind of alluded to it um, to your podcast, um, the Paring Down podcast, which I've gotten to be on your show, which was so fun. And um, I am curious, and especially as you were kind of alluding to, you know, just the your passion for simplifying life and decluttering um, and slowing down. I I am personally curious and I don't know if forgive me if you have mentioned this somewhere and I just missed it. Um, 
did a lot of it stem from living in Alaska? Because I have to imagine that, like you were saying, the living in a small town in Alaska, in Ketchikan, Alaska, like where you can see humpback whales and orcas from your living room window. And there's one road that says the end and three restaurants. Um, I can only imagine like, it's just life is a, is a little bit slower pace there. <laughs> and did that have an influence on you kind of getting into the decluttering movement? Or have you always been a part of the more minimalish society? Like where did that stem from? Yeah, there's a lot of factors, but definitely the biggest push was Alaska. So my mom growing up was um, pretty uh, minimal-ish in terms of what she kept and how she uh, talked to us about our belongings. There was a lot of, you know, it's not that you don't have enough space. It's that you have too much stuff. Mm -hmm. That was said to me over and over growing up. But I wouldn't say at all I digested that as like a, I'm going to live a minimalist lifestyle at all. But then I married my husband who... Is has some like hoarder-ish tendencies and taking on his stuff made me realize how much stuff annoyed me because like I just don't care. Like I don't care about name brands, never had, never have. And I and so I was really annoyed with all the stuff that he brought in. And that's when I realized, okay, I think I just like to live with less stuff. So that was there. But then when we moved to Alaska, a thousand percent, it all came together. It wasn't just about the stuff anymore. It was about this true contentment and a slower life because it was challenging. When you move to Alaska, like you, there's no catch a can. There's no two day Amazon delivery yeah. <laughs> that does. It can't get on the barge fast enough and get up to to where we live. If I needed something from the grocery store and it wasn't on the barge that week, then you just didn't have that, you know, right. and um, also everything was slower. Like you would go wait in Starbucks line and it would be a lot longer in Ketchikan. Like, it, I like that everyone there was, was a Starbucks in Ketchikan. <laughs> yes. Inside the Safeway. It was a very exciting thing for yes. me. Um, and there's no like fast food. I mean, I guess there was a McDonald's drive through like in the side of this kind of abandoned mall. But I know I don't eat fast food, but there's really not much there. We had a Burger right. Queen. Um, not Burger King, Burger Queen, uh, which was actually delicious. But anyway, the point is, is that everything was a lot slower. And um, and so that was a hard adjustment there. But then, like I said, a harder adjustment coming back and realizing just how everything in the lower 48 feels so rushed. Everyone's in a mm -hmm. rush. Everyone's mad at each other on the road trying to get to where they're going to go. Everyone wants to get into the shortest line at the checkout. Everyone wants the the easiest thing for food. You just go, you know, order Chick-fil-A and you, everything was just so fast. And there were so many choices. I mean, gosh, I forgot how many choices. And it was my first experience with kids in the lower 48, really. I mean, I had a toddler when we moved to Alaska, but everything changes when you have more kids and they want to start doing more things. And all of a sudden we had all of these choices versus in Alaska, I would just like take them to the beach and they would look for crabs and sea urchins mm -hmm. for hours, hours. And when we came here, it was like, do we go to Just Jump? Do we go to the water park? Do we go to this like science museum? Do we go to this gymnastics place? Like it was so much. And I think that's what led to a really dark place. I was when we moved to Florida, I was definitely depressed for the first year we mm -hmm. were here. Um, and that's when I realized like so much of it had to do with the fact that life was just so much simpler in Alaska. And I did start paring down in Alaska, like a lot of donations and getting stuff out of the house. I've done that mostly throughout the years, though. But it was when I moved to Florida, like because of looking back at Alaska and realizing what was different besides the mountains, is when I realized, oh, this is key. And so that's when I just started like in droves, getting rid of more and more stuff in our house, even the visual clutter, like taking down some of the picture frames and um, making sure our toy room like was very decluttered so that it couldn't explode because it'll explode no matter how many toys you have. Totally. But like you can limit the explosion <laughs> results yeah. if you have fewer. Yeah. Um, and I so that's and that helped me kind of pull me out of my my dark place when we were here was simplifying our house because I couldn't simplify the outside of our home. I couldn't simplify the roads or how crazy things were. And so I really focused that making our home a peaceful place. And it was really, really powerful. Wow. And so has that trickled down into how your kids are and how they see things? Um, and I'm curious, too, especially when you said that your husband has hoarder tendencies, like has he adopted some of your philosophies now or is it more of a struggle for him? Oh, man, he's gotten so much better. I mean, it used to be 
there was an Amazon box on our porch at least once a day when we first got married, you know, because there's two sides to decluttering, right? There's the getting stuff out, but there's also stopping the influx of new things coming in. Right. Uh, so no, Aaron's been great on that. Although it's funny, I actually just interviewed uh, Dr. Tracy Dogley. She's the couple psych- psychologist or couples therapist yeah. because uh, when you are trying to simplify your life and your partner's not on board, it can be really challenging because you just get mad at them. You want to throw all their stuff away, which is like, I do not recommend. So yeah, there's still challenges there. But my kids, I would say they've, it's hard because little kids get attached to everything. Mm. And they're also, everyone has different personalities. So my daughter, Josephine's a bit like me. She's not really sentimental. (laughs) She's like, yeah, I don't really play with that stuff, Daniel, of stuffy anymore. Let's donate it. You know, she's really good. She's just like, let's get rid of it. I'm like, yes. But then my, my son is very sentimental and he, I mean, he doesn't like when I donate my stuff because he wants to see He's like, but don't you want that? Like, you don't want that shirt, mommy? You know, like he really struggles with letting things go. So it's a slower process with him. But what's been helpful for him actually is getting secondhand items himself because he realizes they came from somebody else. So his stuff can go to someone too. So it's like that cycle helps him understand that it's not gone forever. It's just going to go to another child's home. But yeah, no, it's been good to see them. I want them to grow up with the values that that their happiness doesn't belong in their stuff. And mm-hmm. I don't think anyone raises their kid thinking, I want my kids to find happiness and stuff. Nobody thinks that consciously. Right. But when we're at a store and our child wants the toy and so we get them the toy, they're going to get that little dopamine hit. That's I mean, that's n- undeniable. But then that wears off really quickly, obviously, as we know, and they want the next thing. And so I want my kids to learn to deny themselves a little bit in that moment of wanting that dopamine hit and find that feeling elsewhere. What do we value that has a long lasting impact on our joy? Well, that's gratitude, right? So let's get that dopamine hit from going through all of our stuff and it feels good to get rid of stuff. It feels good to have a clean room. Even my kids get that, right? Like they love going into a clean bedroom or a clean uh, toy room. Like that gives you the same good feelings that buying something has when you can organize a space or whatever. And yeah. so I let them focus on that. And through that process, we talk about what we're grateful that we already own, right? Like, man, I love these magnetiles that we have. Like, you guys are so good at building ships. I'm so grateful for these. And I think that gratitude piece has really been key for my kids. But yeah, it's it's about choosing what values you have. It's being intentional about the way that we move through the world and our and our we help our kids move through the world because we can say up and down that of course I don't want my kids to be materialistic. Right. But if we don't do anything about it, if we don't stop ourselves from that that fast dopamine hit, then they're going to grow up one wanting that, thinking that yeah. that is what success is and that is what really matters. So it, it's a really intentional approach to to kind of switch things around. Yeah, I really love the the way that you just described, you know, just the intentionality of it and and the trickle down effect that it has. And yeah, and I think I think about that too, like even as, especially for mental health, like the impact that it can have on mental health and being able to go in, like my favorite day of the month is when my house is clean. Like it's just and it's only clean for like six hours and it's fine. But um, I just walk in my house and it's like my blood pressure immediately drops. But the I think the piece that especially that I have struggled with over the years, I am not minimalish by any stretch of the imagination, but I've certainly gotten much better about decluttering and, and getting things out of the house that that need to get out. Um, believe it or not, I just did a massive decluttering of all my books, um, but I am a book hoarder and I'm okay with it. Um, but I got rid of so many books, you would have been so proud of me. Um, and uh, But I think the thing that I have struggled with personally is the sentimentality piece. And I know that this is something that you hear often a lot, you know, on your Instagram and your podcast from people are like, well, what do I do with the the things that I'm sentimental about? And what's really interesting, especially knowing your story and the story of um, we haven't really talked about this, but, you know, the fact that you lost your mom at 24 to bladder cancer. I lost my mom at 17 and the the impact of losing a mother at a younger age um is you know it it has long lasting effects and um 
you know, your mom was more minimalish, where my mom was for sure the opposite of minimalish. Um, <laughs> when I was writing my book, I, my dad had brought me this box of, I mean, I have just boxes and boxes. I've gotten rid of a lot of it over the years, but I have boxes and boxes of my mom's stuff. And, um, I always knew that she kept a lot of things, but I don't think I ever knew like, oh my gosh, she got rid of nothing. Like I, I was going through this box of, I mean, notebooks and journals and, steno pads of just all these things that she had she had saved just like letters and calendars and vaccine records and all these things and I was just like why is all of this in here it was so bad Shannon this is this really is going to tell you like how much she hoarded all of this stuff is I found tucked inside of one of her notebooks a receipt for when she bought um, or she got the 600 free hours of AOL like CD. <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I certainly do. I was like, why is this in here? It's 2022. <laughs> like, why is this? Oh my gosh. This so belongs like, in a museum. Yes. So that is like what I'm dealing with and what I came off of. And, and in some ways, I'm really grateful that she saved so many things because I was able to read her journals and I was able to like gain insights into things that I never would have. And I was able to, um, you know, she had, she saved all of her slides from Vietnam and like all these things. So like there are some of it that was incredibly helpful and beneficial. Um, some of it like receipts for 600 free hours of AOL, not so much. Um, so yeah, I'm curious, like how your mom, like how do you deal with the sentimentality piece and how your mom's death impacted all of that? Yeah. Okay. So there's three things here that as you were talking came to mind. First of all, regarding your book decluttering, A, I am proud of you, but B, um, I think beauty, at least in, uh, this is how I approach minimalism, which is, you know, kind of a term that can feel a little bit jarring. It feels like you're going to just live in a like hospital room, you know, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Like, you know, it, that's what people think. But the point of it is to figure out what actually matters to you, what brings you joy. So if those books on your shelf bring you so much joy, by all means, please keep them. Yeah. It's important to go through every title because not every title brings you joy. But I love books, too. And I love our bookshelf. So I'm happy for you. But like you also then probably what doesn't bring you joy, you probably don't need eight different spatula options, right? right. Like it's a matter of, of being intentional about what matters to you. So I want to say that too. It doesn't mean you have to get rid of things you love. That's not the point. In fact, the point is to make space so you can appreciate the things you actually love. Because right. I, even looking in your uh, office right now, I see all these awesome, beautiful books behind you. They are organized. They look great. You can enjoy those because there aren't a thousand other things stacked on top of them and right. near them. So I wanted to say that um, the second part of this is kind of like it's a two part thing uh, in terms of sentimentality and especially managing belongings uh, from somebody that passed away. I mean, that's another that's a whole nother level of sentimentality that unfortunately you and I have dealt with. So one is as the person who is managing that stuff and trying to to decide what to keep. I think it's really important to keep in mind that you're. The person you lost doesn't live inside their stuff. Right. If it's somebody that you love, what really makes you feel the most connected to them? It's these memories. Like for me, it's when I reach for something and I realize that like my hands look just like my mom's. Mm. Or when I say something to my kids and it comes out and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I sounded just like my mom when I said that, right? Yeah. Or it's, it's, it's the things that I know about her that are still within me. Um, and yes, sometimes, of course, especially like the written things. I love cards from her because it's her handwriting and it, it's very direct. And those things are beautiful to keep. I love that. Pictures, absolutely. Um, those matter. But when it's like, do I keep the, the china she really loved? or all of her clothing, or I mean, everything becomes sentimental when it's somebody that you lost. Right. The important part is, is this doing me, her, anybody, any good sitting in a box? Is it like, it's not, it's not bringing more value to your life. And it's not bringing them back to life. Um, and so we can let go of those things that we can't actively appreciate. So for me, 
there was a story behind every single piece of clothes in her closet. I, there was the shorts she would wear whenever we had a picnic outside for church. There was the dress she wore when she came and saw me in place. Like there, I knew every outfit. And so they all felt sentimental. But then I was like, what good are these actually doing sitting in a box or hanging in the back of my closet? Like, it's not bringing my mom back. The memory is going to church with her and sitting outside mm-hmm. and having a with her. I don't need the shorts to remember that. And odds are, I probably have a picture of it anyway. Um, but the memory is inside of me. So I kept two sweaters that fit me that I can wear. That's really fun to wear. Um, that's hers. And I kept you know, anything, something I wanted to display that was really nice, that was hers. But they're in active use. They're not sitting in a box. Like with the, I did, then once you make these rules surrounding, like these kind of um, unwritten rules of how to to place boundaries upon what you'll keep, then you can kind of break them. So I do have one small, like tote situation that has her chatty Kathy doll in it from the 1960s because I want my daughter to play with her yeah. with the chatty Kathy. She's just about the about at the age where I don't think she'll cut off the hair. So, you know, waiting until that happens. Oh, yeah. Um, I did. My mom is a triathlete. So uh, I did keep her bike helmet because that feels really, really important to me. Mm. Um, and that's like pretty much it besides cards and pictures and the two sweaters that I wear. And I don't feel less connected to my mom than the people who have a whole storage unit of the things that were their parents. Right. Yeah. In fact, I I think that when we do that, sometimes we are clinging to a past that makes us even more sad rather than feeling grateful. When I put on my mm. mom's blue sweater, I feel so excited that I am, I don't know, it, it's, it does make me feel close to her, but it doesn't add to the sense of overwhelm. Like it's, she's present and she's with me. She's not sad and sitting in a box, you right. know? Um, and so there's a difference there. And that can go for our kids' clothing, right? That can go for anything that's sentimental. If it's sitting in a box, it's really not doing anyone any good. So I do keep a memory box for my kids, but I always have to think, will they enjoy this in 30 years? Or they'd be like, mom, why in the world did you keep, you know, this dumb thing that I don't care about, this little cat, you know? Okay, so that's the first part is when you're the person trying to decide on sentimental items. I definitely just recommend remembering that the memories that person doesn't live in their stuff. They right. live in you and in your memories. Yeah. The other piece of this is you were mentioning how your mom kept so much stuff and some of it you're grateful for, but a lot of it just feels kind of overwhelming. And now it is now your responsibility to deal with. Right. And so there's something called Swedish death cleaning. Have you heard of this? No. I know. Go it's on. a pretty jarring name. Like Swedish Swed- it's, uh, In Sweden, <laughs> we, we kill you to death or we clean you to death. I don't know. That's yeah. just very, that's not at all what Swedish people sound like. I don't know why. <laughs> that was, that, was that like Russian? <laughs> yes. In Soviet Russia, death cleans you. Um, anyway. <laughs> No, it's great. So the um, I'm obsessed. That's but that's exactly how it feels, right? It's like so intense. But it's called Swedish Swedish death cleaning. Cleaning. Okay, go on. And the people of um, like the Nordic countries, like Sweden and Denmark, and over there, there's a lot of simplicity in the way they move through life. That's a huge value of them as a culture. Um, and part of this in Swedish death cleaning is basically the idea that as you get older. You pare down your things so that the responsibility doesn't fall onto your loved ones. Yeah. Uh, And it's a really powerful notion because especially in westernized culture, we don't like to think about death. It feels so scary and taboo and awkward and morbid to talk about. But at the end of the day, we're all going to die. Like, that's just the one thing we all have in common, you know, and um, and to think about it is actually freeing because you're not as like scared, Mm. like when we're trying not to think about something, there's a certain fear attached to that. But when you face it head on, it becomes a little bit less of a scary thing. Mm -hmm. And, and through that, you can actually love the people that, that you're leaving behind better in the sense that you are thinking about their future as well. So they don't want to go through all of your stuff. If you don't want to go through all of your stuff, I promise you, your kids or your brother and sister don't want to either, you know, and and so the, the the art of Swedish death cleaning is is kind of a a way that you can walk through what to go through and how to to start that process before you pass away. So before an old age. But we also don't know when we're gonna die. Right. You know, we might not all live to be we will not all live to be 80, 85 or whatever. And so to me, I was grateful my mom didn't have a ton of stuff. 
But she still had, I mean, there still was stuff, but I was grateful for that. And so I want to offer that experience to my loved ones whenever I do pass away that not only they are not left with this huge burden, but they know what's important to me, right? Mm -hmm. Like I would know, I would definitely leave my journals behind. That's awesome. And some pictures from big experiences, um, which is also why I try and label my pictures because I mean, so morbid, I guess is like kind of does how it feels that way. But I want people to know that part of my story. I want my kids to appreciate that. Um, But what I don't care about, I don't want them to have to wonder. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want them to have to go through and be like, did mom really care about... I don't know, these shoes or this sweater or this kitchen utensil or whatever. I just would rather them be like, she had a spatula and a spoon. And like, I don't, I don't know. And the drawers aren't packed and you don't have to wonder what cord goes to what and isn't worth saving that device from the 1990s. Like, (laughs) I just would rather take that pressure off of them um, to deal with it all. So yeah, there's that, those are the two parts is being the one that feels sentimental and then the one who can protect your loved ones from that experience. Yeah. Well, and then I think that that kind of goes right into um, the, the philosophy that you learned from your mom that I have even just like, I just, I think it's an all encompassing philosophy. And it's a really sweet story. You can you kind of open your book with it. It's a sweet and it's a sad story um, of of a conversation you had with your mom um, a few days before she passed. And so would you share that story and kind of how that has played into how you've taken that into the rest of your adulthood? Yeah, absolutely. So a couple days before my mom passed away, and by the way, she had bladder cancer is very quick. Um, She was diagnosed in March of 2012 and died in September of 2012. So it was about a five month ordeal. Um, And she, you know, had she was a triathlete, a registered nurse, a dietitian. She was I mean, the picture of health, everyone on our family side have lived into their 90s. So this was very bizarre. And um, a few days before she passed away, after we'd done everything we could, I said, what's like one thing you want to make sure you tell me, like, what's one piece of advice? And she kind of said it flippantly because, you know, she that's a big question. But she said, you know what, Shannon, don't save the good wine. They, she was upstairs in, in her bedroom and on her hospital bed that we had come in for hospice. And she said, downstairs, there are a couple bottles of wine that we were saving for a special occasion. And now I'll never know what they taste like. So mm-hmm. don't save the good wine. And immediately that was just the most powerful lesson of my life because Mm. like you said it can really translate it translates into this be mindful and present right now because today matters uh use the good things don't put the quilt that your grandma sewed for your child in the closet because you don't want anything to spill on it put it on their bed let them use it my daughter wears her fancy dresses everywhere because that's what brings her joy we I mean, quite literally we don't save the good wine anymore um and as a whole it just means live intentionally and live now this doesn't mean that we don't think about our future i think i think some people are like oh well then don't you even think about the future well of course there is a balance between knowing that you could live forever or you could die right now but the point is that we are so much happier when we are not uh when we when we feel grateful and excited to live right now Mm -hmm. Uh, and that absolutely is something I take every day into my life whenever I am tempted to hoard something away whether it's emotions or stuff or anything I'm like don't save the good wine I'm going to tell that person I love them I'm going to shoot them a text and tell them I was thinking of them I am going to you know whatever I'm going to use the good stuff and I'm going to offer the good stuff. And that's going to be how I move through life. And yeah, I think about it all the time. Yeah, I love I love that advice. And I remember the first time you shared that and I just immediately was like, yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I I think about like, even <laughs> this is so silly. Um, I got a pair of sequin pants this year. They're sequin bell bottoms and they're amazing. And <laughs> Okay. And I got them for a holiday party. And then now I'm just like, what other excuses do I have to wear my sequin pants? And I'm like, you know what? If I want to wear my sequin pants to Target, I'm going to get some looks, but they bring me so much joy. Um, No, I don't wear my sequin pants everywhere, everyone. Okay. But it's one of those like, I'm not going to just buy these pants and wear them one time. Like they're fabulous. I look amazing in them and (laughs) I'm going to wear the sequin pants. Um, Well, we want to protect the things that we love and like, and we want to make them feel special. And I get that. But like, 
also that's the point of decluttering is to really zone in on what you love, right? Like yeah. I have two coffee mugs that I just think are so cute and they make me feel so cozy. And I just, I feel so delicate and feminine when I use them. Yes. And, and I don't want to not use them because I'm afraid that if I use them, I might break it. Right. That's this idea is like, uh, am I going to ruin it? Am I going to break it? Is it going to feel less special to me? And so we, then we just don't. Yeah. And it's like, okay, wear those sequin pants. They bring you joy to Target, to church, wherever you want to wear them. And one day, you know what, if you wake up and they don't bring you joy anymore because you've overworn them, great. It means that you put them to good use. You know what would suck is if they sat in your closet until next holiday season, but then you kind of found this other really cute thing you wanted to wear and you never wore those sequin pants again and got the joy out of them for the six (laughs) months after the first time you purchased them, you know? Yeah, exactly. But I think it's, yeah, it's it's a microcosm example of just like the philosophy of, There is, of course, a balance, like you said, uh, to planning for the future, thinking about the future, while also very much living in the here and now and 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 saying, you know, this moment in this time matters. And, um, you know, and I yeah, I I, and I think especially when you when you are someone who has lost a loved one um, in a sudden way or a quick way or an unexpected way or even in a, you know, a, a long drawn out way. It's just when you lose somebody, you realize the frailty of life, the fleetingness of life that we are, you know, this lifetime is, is but a breath. And, um, and then of course, you know, in parenting too. So, I mean, I think this applies to both parents and to people who don't have children. I mean, I think it's, again, when we see the fleetingness of life, you know, but I, I look at my kids and I just think like, how are they, already this big. And, you know, um, my son who is about to be eight, um, he is very much like my husband and I were talking about this, like in some ways, like he is very much still, he's a, he's an almost eight year old boy, but there's this, this babiness to him still that in some ways, like I actually really treasure in that he has these moments of just being so absurdly sweet and where he just wants to snuggle me. And he just, you know, is like, mama, can I, I don't feel good. Like I want to snuggle you. Like, and he brings his little stuffed animal down and he just curls up next to me like a baby. And I, you know, there's a part of me that could be like, nah, you're an eight year old boy now. And I'm like, no, he's a child and he just needs his mom. And he is not going to be 15 or 25 and go, mama, you snuggle me. You know what I mean? Like, so I'm going to cherish this moment that I don't know how many of these I have left. Um, I have no idea how many of these moments of where he just wants to put his head on my chest and snuggle me and we can watch a movie together or whatever. Um, and like he came, he came up to me the other day. He just comes in my office. I'm sitting at my desk working and he just came up and he gave me the biggest hug. And I was like, Hey buddy, is everything okay? He goes, yeah, mama, I just wanted to tell you, I love you. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I just, Oh, this is the sweetest thing. (laughs) So it's like treasure those moments, treasure those moments. Um, because, you know, pretty soon he's going to be a teenager that's just eating me out of house and home and doesn't want to come just give his mama a hug. <laughs> but isn't that funny, though? I mean, this kind of even circles back to what we were talking about with parenting earlier, too, which is this desire for our kids to do the next thing. Yeah. To grow up, even though our, in our hearts, we also don't want them to grow up, yeah, but also stay little. <laughs> Yeah. Then like the day to day stuff though, sometimes we're like, it would be really nice if you could wipe your own butt, you know, like there's <laughs> it's like things that yeah. you want to move forward or yeah. what have you. And like you said, and, and part of what I talk about too on the podcast or just on my parent on Instagram is when your home is calm It's a lot easier to live in those moments, whether it's your son wanting to cuddle on the couch or just going on an adventure with your family for the day because your house isn't hanging over your head. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like I'm able to pause with my kids so much more easily instead of like constantly trying to be productive and keep up with my house. And I'm sorry, buddy, I can't sit down right now. Mommy's really got to do X, Y and Z. There's a lot less of that because I'm able to focus on what actually matters and know that when I do need to clean up the house, it's not going to take a long time. So like I can manage a 15 minute cuddle right now, even though I don't feel like it because it won't take long to get everything back in order. And yeah, there's power to that. Yeah. Amen. Oh my gosh, Shannon, I knew this was going to be fun and I didn't even get to like half the things I wanted to talk with you about. So there's probably to come on. No, 
no, excuse me, no apologies. Um, but for people that uh, have just loved this conversation, like I know that they will and love you, um, how can they best connect with you? Where can they find you if they want to hear more of what you have to say and read your words and all that? I would love to connect. I am uh, in DMs. That is definitely my favorite part about Instagram is just actually feeling like I get to know people. So don't feel weird. Just be like, I heard you on Molly's podcast. And I'll be like, great. We are now friends. I love yeah. this. And my my Instagram account is at Paring Down Podcast. This is important to note, everybody. There is no I in Paring Down. Yes. So there's a difference between when you pare down something, P-A-R-E, and then you have a pair of something yes. like shoes, P-A-I-R. And I don't say that condescendingly. I say that because everybody I know puts an I in it. So yes. you're not alone, but it's paring down without an I, paring down podcast on Instagram. And I also have a blog, which is theexpertbeginner.com. I love it. The Expert Beginner. It's so good. And we didn't even get to talk about the fact that you used to do the most amazing Bachelor, Bachelorette recaps. We didn't even really get to talk about your time as Miss New York and how that happened and your time on Broadway, you know, pursuing Broadway. And oh, my gosh. Well, so we just have more to talk about on another day. So okay, I'm in. Um, Shannon, thank you so much for being here. And thank you for your wisdom. And um, I just really pray that this... Uh, episode was encouraging to people um, like I know that it will be so thanks so much for being here friend thank you so much for having me I told you you would love Shannon she's so much fun be sure to check out her podcast paring down and head on over to Amazon you where you can get her book and all of those good things so thank you so much Shannon for coming on the show and thank you the listener for listening week in and week out thank you for your support head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this and click that subscribe or follow button and leave a review, which really does help us to know what you're liking and how this show is personally impacting you. Thank you to the team at Third Wheel Media for producing the show. And I hope something this week makes you laugh till you cry. We'll see y'all next week. Bye.